0: Well, you would think, by the way, you all have worshiped and the choir has led us, that Jesus Christ is pretty famous around here. And I would give a hearty amen to that. Bless the Lord and thank you. We are looking forward to a great day, April the 26th here at Beach Haven Baptist Church, where we commit ourselves financially to the Act 22 project. And a large part of that leadership has come from one of our own deacons and servants uh, Tom Rogers. I want to invite Tom Rogers to come to the podium now and share with us some of his thoughts on, uh, on giving and how he's going to approach Act uh, 22. Would you give him a Beach Haven welcome, please?
1: Good morning. I always like to get an amen from Bob Moeller, so I'll start out by saying that I'm not going to preach today. So. Um, But we are, the Stewardship Committee is very excited about uh, our church's overwhelming support for the Act 22 project, Um, and now is the time for us to make this project a reality. Um, Paul in 2 Corinthians stated, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I firmly believe that the Act 22 project is in accord with God's will. We've been praying about this and working with this for several years, and I think we are in God's timing uh, when we uh, bring this project into reality. I also believe that our support uh, for this project evidences our trust in God's provision and is an exercise of our faith. Um, uh, we have already had a number of members, some members gave actually to that 22 project back in 2014. Some have already given now, some have already made their commitments. Um, and Matthew teaches us uh, in, in chapter six, verse 21, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I think our financial support will help us uh in our move towards sanctification, individual sanctification. That is uh giving uh gifts to the Act twenty two project over and above our ties is a way for us to defeat our selfish interest and our inherently sinful nature, uh point. to become closer to God. Uh, but finally I think that uh our financial support of Act 22 is an act of thanksgiving to God. God has been good to everybody in here. Uh, David in Psalms 116 said, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? Um, So I think giving to this project is uh, clearly an act of faith and an act of thanksgiving. So we just ask, coming up to April Twenty Sixth, which is our Commitment Sunday, that everybody prayerfully listen to God's direction uh, for your part in giving beyond your tithe uh, to make this project a reality, and we firmly believe that this is going to be a great success. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Perfect. Good work. Good work. That dovetails perfectly into our topic this morning in Mark chapter 10. If you'll join me there, Mark chapter 10. Perhaps it is that you're not entirely familiar with the Christian faith, if at all. I want to make it real clear to you, the Christian faith is a giving faith, and it is unique in all the earth. There are other religions who give, but they do not have that at the heart of their faith. The Christian faith does. And I don't know of a passage that we could reflect on in the Gospel of Mark any more than what we have before us in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, that defines that. If you're a guest with us, we appreciate you giving or attending. We don't expect you to give to this project or anything else. Our members take care of that. So we didn't invite you here uh, to collect your money. Uh, that is something our members do and that they take care of. But at the heart of everything Tom Rogers just said happened to be the sentiments and the spirit of Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 52, where the cross of Jesus Christ is central. It is very difficult to overestimate the cross in the Christian faith. And to describe it this morning in the moments I have is like attempting to take the Gulf of Mexico and cram it into a kitchen sink. Entirely difficult. So for the next 21 days, we will be looking at this. uh, Well, I'll be doing it mostly by myself, I imagine. But in... Mark chapter 10, we find that Jesus is on his way to his death in Jerusalem, and here he defined himself and his father and his followers in terms of the cross. Beginning in verse 32. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And they followed, as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and they will scourge him, and they will spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, We're able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it's for those to whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them yet it shall not be so among you but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many you can know god in the significant issues of life if you'll understand the cross well what is there about the cross that we need to Well, there are several things that surface from this text. First, Christ gives you the cross as your path in life. Epicurus, the great Greek philosopher, said that every action in life can be explained either as an attempt to secure pleasure or to avoid pain. And I really think that for the normal human living, he's entirely correct. You drove a car this morning that you might avoid the pain of walking. Uh, You have eaten and drunk what you have done today for the pleasure, uh, either of good health or taste buds. Everything in life can be explained in those ways. You're attempting to gain pleasure, or you're attempting to avoid pain. In this text, Jesus overthrows both notions, because I don't know if you've ever noticed about Jesus or not, but Jesus is no ordinary human. He's God in flesh, and so the way he defines himself and his behavior and his actions are far different than ordinary, normal human living. Um, to give you some historical background here, Jesus is talking about the cross, and in history, the cross was the most shameful way to die. It was a government form of execution created by the Persians, adopted by the Greeks and the Romans, and that was commonly used in Israel. It was the way to humiliate and shame the criminal who had committed capital offenses. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. And anyone that hung on a cross was indeed socially ostracized by the Roman government. But the Jews also believed, because of Deuteronomy, that it was a curse of God as well. The physical suffering that came with the cross could be described as nothing short of demonic in many ways. It was the most brutal, agonizing way to die. It began with a scourging where the victim's back was turned into ribbons of quivering flesh, one doctor says. It uh, involved piercing of the hands and feet and generally in the wrist area that that would sever the sensory median nerve and create unbearable pain through the shoulders. The victim was hung in such a way that breathing was restricted and he had to push up on his feet to open his body cavity enough to gasp for air and then let himself down, and oftentimes they would grow so weary they would die from asphyxiation. Socially and physically, it turned the victim into a mess. And Jesus here in this text says, that's what's happening to me in Jerusalem, and I'm going anyway. In fact, we discover later in Mark, that was his purpose, and he arranged to get himself to the cross. And here in the text... Beginning in verse 32, it says, "...the disciples were amazed, and those that followed him were afraid." Well, why is that? Well, Jesus, in the previous text, had dismissed the wealthy and their value to the kingdom of God. Now, they can be very valuable, but not because of their wealth. Not at all. That overthrew everything they believed about righteousness. They had a first-century view of the heresy of the prosperity gospel. That if you were right with God, you would be blessed financially. I wish somebody then would explain the life of Jesus. No one's ever been more right with God, but he didn't have a place to lay his head. And he was crucified as an awful criminal. And so the disciples are following Jesus and their minds are bewildered because he has just dismissed an awful lot of their values and their theological notions. And so in verse 33 and verse 34, he goes up to Jerusalem and he pours on this sentiment and gives no one any relief. In other words, he defied Epicurus. He acted to avoid pleasure. And he acted to secure pain for himself. He overthrew common values that have persisted in the human race All along. So, what Jesus does here is that he sets God's will as his highest value, not pleasure or the avoidance of pain, but God's will. He did not, he did not, he did not avoid pain of the will of God. And he did not avoid God's will because it involved pain. And he set, therefore, the example for all the followers of Christ. The will of God will almost always cost those who do it. Someone wrote to C.S. Lewis one time and said, What is the most comfortable religion? And Lewis replied, I did not become a Christian for comfort. He said, in fact, if you're looking for a comfortable religion, I do not suggest the Christian faith. And he was entirely correct. And this is true in so many areas. In fact, Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, If anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, we need a daily personal execution. This is true in marriage for happy marriages. We set ourselves aside for our spouse and for our family. Sometimes this is true in vocational choices. Uh, oftentimes this is true in churches with worship preferences. And sometimes this is true for favorite ministries. We set ourselves aside to do the will of God. Keith Green, the great musician who revolutionized Christian music back in the 70s and early 80s before he died in a plane wreck in Lindale, Texas in 1982, went through a period of time in his early Christian life where he gave up music. Oh, and he was wildly talented. But he wasn't certain that God wanted him to use his music and to record and to perform concerts and use it for evangelism. And so for a few months he stayed away from the piano and he quit writing music until God convinced him that he indeed was called to the music ministry. The truth is he got it right and he absolutely changed the world just the seven years that he was a Christian before he died in an unexpected plane crash. Not that any of them are expected, but indeed that's what he did. Now this assumes our natural opposition to the will of god. Charles Wesley was right. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the god I love. Our hearts and minds will our hearts and minds will conspire against us and against the will of god, and they'll be very subtle and oftentimes religious to do it in many ways. And that's the crowd that Jesus faced. It means then that the Christian faith is an uncomfortable faith. So Christ gives you the cross as the path for your life. I need to let you know that if this morning you decide for Christ and you come for Him, you're coming to take up a cross. Oh, He'll cancel your sin. He'll give you heaven as your home. But for the balance of your life on this earth, you'll need to carry a cross. And so I'm not going to mislead you and tell you that it's always easy. I will not uh, mislead you and tell you that uh, you will be comfortable. Not at all. You will have to carry a cross daily, which means you'll need to execute yourself, aspirations, goals, dreams, and desires on a daily basis. But there's the second thing. Christ gives you the cross also as a pattern for your leadership. And I want us to examine this in verses 35 to 45. First here is a request in verse 35. James and John, the son of Zebedee, just off the heels of everything Jesus said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, don't we all, beloved? Indeed, we do. And so Jesus uh, uh, asked them, what do you want me to do for you? They said, grant to us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. Well, Peter had been the leader of this group, and these fellows saw an opportunity. A couple chapters back, Jesus looked at Peter and called him the devil, and said, you've got your interest on the things of men, not the things of God. Therefore, you qualify as thoroughly satanic in your heart, is a satanocracy. And so Peter was humbled before them, and they see the opening here to gain leadership as brothers. And in fact, in Matthew, Matthew says their mama got involved and approached Jesus with the same request. Well, Jesus then goes on in verse 38 to a refusal. You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, yeah, we're able So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. So even Jesus knew something about service, and he's preparing them for verse number 42, 43, and 44 is what he's doing. He's setting them up by setting an example. So Jesus refuses their request because of the restriction. in verse number 40 To sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it's been prepared. So Jesus restricts their place in the kingdom to the will of his Father, and that is entirely the commitment that we make when we come to Christ. We embrace the will of the Father. Well, there's some resentment in verse 41. When the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. I imagine perhaps they wished that they had thought of the request before them. And then Jesus redirects them, beginning in verse 42. He gives them a different direction. He called them to himself, gathered them and huddled up real quickly and brought them together. He said, In the world, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. In other words, they don't have much consideration for their needs. They don't have much consideration for their contribution. They get their dream and vision stuck in their mind. They don't consult with them, and they impose it from the top down. Verse 43, yet it shall not be so among you. Now, Jesus did not say you're not supposed to lead or make decisions. That's a terrible misreading of this passage. But here's what he did say. In verse 43, it is entirely possible for you as leaders to become great. In fact, you've got to be great with the mission I'm giving you. And it's entirely possible and necessary in verse 44 to become first in leadership. And so it is entirely appropriate for there to be those who lead us who are great and first. There has to be that or everything is chaotic. Yet, there's some qualifications to this. Those who are great shall be your servant. And then Jesus even uh, magnifies this and goes beyond this. If you want to be great, that's good, but you've got to be a servant. But if you want to go beyond greatness and become first, you've got to go lower than a servant, and that is to become a slave, is what you've got to do. There's a difference between great and first and slave and servant. Uh, Great is one level, first is a higher level, servant is one level. Slave is another level. So Jesus is arguing greater than, lesser than here. In other words, the higher you want to go in leadership, the lower you've got to serve the people. And Jesus makes that abundantly clear in this text. In other words, the way up is down in the kingdom of God. And then he gives uh, that redirection with his example. He says, that's precisely what I'm doing. I'm not doling out positions in the kingdom. That's not my authority to do in this era. My father does it. These positions are for whom my father decides. That's why no one ever ever enters into the ministry without a call from God. I didn't choose the ministry. Our staff did not choose the ministry. God chose it and laid it upon us. And Jesus said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then Jesus gets into a reproduction of this principle in verse 46 to 52. There in that text, he finds someone who could do him no good in the kingdom. Really. This man had nothing to offer. He's blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus heals him of his blindness. The interesting thing is the disciples could see the world but could not see God. Blind Bartimaeus could not see the world but he could see God. And he got it. He got it right. And Jesus reproduces this principle by working with a very needy needy man. So, to be over, you must first learn to be under. To lead, you've got to learn how to follow. To rule and to be great and first, you must first learn how to... Sir, That's true with mothers and their children. That's true with husbands and their families. That's true with staff, with their churches, and deacons with their churches. That's true with uh, employers, with their employees. That's true at every area of life where people are concerned about the will of God and even where they aren't. So in other words, Jesus is teaching here, you take care of the depth of your service and God will take care of the height of your leadership. So, Christ gives you the cross as a pattern for leadership and a path for faith. But there's a third thing in this text Christ gives you the cross as payment for sin. I don't know if you've noticed through the Gospels how often Jesus returns to the theme of the cross and his death. Why in the world do we talk so much about the cross and resurrection? Well, it's very simple, Jesus did. It keeps surfacing over and over again. Heaven is not past the power of the cross of Christ. And Jesus gives this cross as payment for sins. You know, books and plays and situations and news accounts that involve ransom are always gripping to those who read them. And in real life, they cause the heart to palpitate and they draw an awful lot of interest. I don't know if you're aware or not. In fact, I sure hope that you're not. But the world's kidnapping industry is worth hundreds of millions of dollars every year. In fact, in 1932, the insurance company Lloyd's of London began to offer kidnapping insurance. Now, they keep their client list secret, (laughs) and I think for good reason. But after Charles Lindbergh's son was kidnapped, they began to offer this insurance and offered the first policy after Lindbergh's son was kidnapped, and it is said that they own 75% of this insurance market. In other words, they'll pay ransom for those who can afford their insurance policies. Ransom is a financial and legal word in the Bible. Uh, Financially, it means to pay a price to release someone from debt. They've got staggering debts. Someone who is kind will come and pay them. And oftentimes, they would become their servant until they paid off their debt. That's a good way to think about ransom and redemption. And then it also means to pay the court to be released from a debt to the court. So it's a financial and it is a legal word. And the act of paying and freeing someone in debt uh, or to the court is called redemption. And so ransom and redemption go together, and Jesus picks up on this in verse number 45. He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid to release people from the debt to God's court and the debt to the bondage of sin. And there are several ways to describe this. First, it is a costly payment. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served. That's a reference from Daniel chapter 7 where the Son of Man is envisioned in His future glory, where He comes to the world and eliminates all rival kingdoms and takes dominion Himself. It's an exalted word of the King of kings who will reign without challenge Without the possibility of coup, without the possibility of death, without the possibility of corruption, without the possibility of defeat, without the possibility of error, without the possibility of mistake, when he returns in his glory, this is the Son of Man, and yet he even he comes to serve the world by dying for their sins. I must say to you, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for every one of us. He's the Son of Man. Then it's a gracious payment. The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ gives His life. It's not taken from Him. He volunteers to give His life. The whole idea of the cross and His death for our sins is something conceived in His own heart and mind. It is completely the initiative of God. I would have never thought to offer salvation to the world by a death, but thank God He did. He's gracious and no wonder Paul cries out in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thank God for His indescribable gift. It is a gracious payment. It's a substitutionary payment as well. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for, or in the place of, many is the Greek preposition. God is a king with the court system and laws and sentences, but thank God in His court He allows exchanges, prisoners to exchange themselves in the place of another, or someone who is completely pure, innocent, and righteous in the eyes of the court in the place of of a sinner, and that is precisely what Jesus Christ did. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And how in the world anyone could resist Jesus Christ knowing that He died for them is unbelievable, unremarkable, and um, unfathomable to me. Christ gave Himself to bring you to God. And we dare not this morning frustrate divine purposes. During our invitation today, after the message is over, we'll invite you to come to Christ. Our our staff will be here to help you with that need. For some of you, that means that you'll come and give your sins to Jesus Christ for the very first time. And you'll lay your burden down into the wounds of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you need to come to Christ in baptism. Some of you need to come in And some of you need to come in church membership. God may be calling some of you to ministry or missionary service. You come during our invitation today because Christ died to bring you to God and we dare not frustrate the purposes of God in sight of the death of His Son. Substitutionary payment. Then it's a shameful payment. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Many. Every lawbreaker, every idolater, every person that's fashioned, advertently or inadvertently, a graven image, every Sabbath breaker, everyone that's taken the Lord's name in vain, everyone who has been disobedient to parents and dishonored their parents, every murderer, every adulterer, every thief, every liar and false witness, And everyone that's been dissatisfied with his or her lot in life that has been covetous. Jesus Christ became every one of them at the cross. He gave his life as a ransom for many. I've got good news for you today. If it's not been clear thus far, you can take all of your filthiness and hide it in the wounds of Jesus Christ this morning. Jesus Christ will take it. No matter what shames you and embarrasses you, no matter what you want to keep hidden, no matter what sends you to bed at night and worries you and causes anxiety in the morning, friend, Jesus Christ has wounds deep enough to contain it all and hide it all from the holy vision of Almighty God. You can be clean today by coming to Him. I heard about this wife that was traveling in Europe, rather wealthy family. They collected tapestries for their home. And she found one worth $25,000, and so she texted to her husband asking if they had $25,000 to purchase it. And he texts back, no, price too high. He met her at the airport, and she came out of the terminal with the tapestry under her arm. He said, Why do you have the tapestry? She said, You texted me and said, No, price too high. <laughs> What are you worth? What are you worth? How much does God value canceling your sins and making you His own? The blood of Christ is the only adequate answer. Jesus Christ bled for you, and that is the price God paid for you. No price too high to save those who are guilty before God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You were bought with the price Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Why don't you glorify Him today with your body? Why don't you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, or believe in your spirit that God raised Him from the dead? Why don't you call on Him to save you today? And during our invitation, why don't you walk forward and meet a staff member and say, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. Would you quickly stand with me, please, and let's pray about it. We thank you for the cross, Lord. We thank you for the price you paid and for bearing all our sin and shame. In love you came and gave amazing grace. And dear God, I want to ask that friends today will meet you. For those who need to meet you for the first time, disabuse them of a false sense of security and exaggerated notions of righteousness and let them feel the great burden of the conviction of the Spirit, but also the drawing of the Spirit to the wounds of Christ. And I pray, dear God, you'll give them all they need in repentance and faith by the Holy Spirit. Lord, some need to reintroduce themselves to you. They've drifted. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. But they know you. And they want to come back, and I pray they will. Let them say yes, immediately, quickly, without reservation. They've been strangers, but dear God, I pray you'd make them friends again. Lord, I pray for our leaders. They take up your cross and and they'll need your help to do it. And I pray that all of us will have lives formed as crosses. And dear God, we plead to you for your mercy to help in this time of need, in this most important time. As you keep talking to the Lord, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give you the opportunity to get your spiritual need met there's no time like right now now is the acceptable time the Lord says in his word The staff members will be here at the front front of these aisles and when we start singing you come and you do serious business with God if you're antsy you're uptight shifting back and forth the Holy Spirit's probably working with you go ahead you may not even know what you need to do but you come give your life to Christ bow everything before the will of God don't hold anything back And he'll answer the questions later if you don't know what to do. But some of you do know what to do and you know your spiritual need and you need to come. Yield it all to God. You can trust a God who crucifies his son for you. You can trust a God like that and you're surrounded by people who've done that. So you come. Staff will be here. Let's start singing. I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's sing. And you come.